You're listening to a message from Hope Central in Adelaide, South Australia. If you would like to know more about Hope Central or any of our ministries, please visit hopecentral.org.au. It's wonderful to welcome you here on this Resurrection Sunday. This is the day that Christ rose from the dead, completing the divine plan of God to save us. The most important thing is so that we realize we have a relationship with God. We've been reconciled to him. I'm going to be talking about that today. Um, I've been thinking about these questions um, a lot lately. Why don't people get along? I mean, we're, we're all people, right? We all like friends. So why aren't we friends with everybody? Why, why is it that we don't all love each other? Why, um, what do we do then with the offenses that people give me and how do I love people, even the people I don't like? I was uh, reminded about this again because uh, very recently, as you probably know, I went to Canada to um, celebrate my dad's life and conduct his funeral and to be part of all that. You know, and I, you know, funerals, like they're just such an important part of, of a family unit. You know what it's like, you know, someone in your family passes away and you're just like, man, you just want that day to be amazing. And then you ask yourself, so why can't anyone get along then? I, I mean, I've celebrated a lot of funerals as my, in my time as a pastor. And one of the things that often surprises me is how often people fight and become petty at the death of a, a family member. And then all of those things that are there sitting beneath the surface of dislike between family members, suddenly they're forced to all be together and be polite and be nice. And it's kind of like a bit grumbly. And I have a couple of family members, not, not the close ones, not anyone you're going to assume, and no one I'm going to name, because there are probably people watching this online in Canada, <coughs> that just could not get their act together to love one another even at the funeral. And I thought, Why? Why is that happening? And, and think about this. Think about the relationships that are lost because of that offense. And, and this particular couple of people, it's been probably about 25 years that they can't stand to be in the same room with each other. That's 25 years of lost relationship. And it makes me think, Why? And that's actually the, 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 that idea of why people can't be close, that's the central idea of the crucifixion of Jesus. I know, I know that when we talk about community, if anybody says it's simple, you just, you know that they're lying, okay? Because people are not simple. And the, you can tell people, you just need to get along, and they just don't. So I just want everybody to know that John Lennon was wrong, when he proclaimed in this anti-war propaganda, why don't you just give peace a chance? It's not like he came up with that idea. Like people are going, oh, peace. I never thought of that. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, we all should just love one another. It would be great. What a great idea. Thanks, John. Love, love, love me do. You know I love you. <laughs> you know, but if we all kind of just got along, then we wouldn't have these great ideas. You know, Instead of Star Wars, we would have Stop Wars. You know, one thing I love about the whole Star Wars thing is like, when you, if you, I grew up in, in the 70s, so I saw Star Wars in the cinema. And, and when I saw Luke Skywalker pilot his you know, X-Wing X down and drop those photon torpedoes and destroy the Death Star and all of the bad people were killed all at once, I believed the universe was going to be at peace. 
and then the empire struck back. <laughs> it did not get better. And then the empire had a great time, and so we had the Jedi had to come back and fix everything, you know? And then we had a bunch of peace for years and years until Lucas needed more money. And then we had the prequels, more fighting, more wars. And they're like, Disney bought it. Now we've got to have constant conflict. If you're described to Disney and you watch all of the stuff, they just keep the war going because the war is good for business. So after 6,000 years of human civilization, why do we still fight? Why are we still, as human beings, constantly in strife and out of strife? Grumbling and not grumbling. People we like, people we don't like. Why are there ethnic groups that don't relate to others? Why are there certain types of people and groups of people that can't simply get along? Well, I want to tell you that it's because of this. And this is also the answer. You see, the cross of Jesus Christ creates community. It's fact, it's the death of Jesus on the cross that is the single hope of all humanity to have community. And here in the book of Ephesians, Paul explains it in in the whole thing. It's a long passage, so a little tiny verse. He said, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. It's interesting that, that the, the cross, which seems to be about you and me and God, is that Paul says that the problem between people is fixed when we become community with God. It's we don't get along because we're not okay with him. But the cross not only reunites us with God, but it reunites us with the rest of humanity because it makes us to be what we were never before, which is one body. I want to talk about how that happens. You know, um, in the story of Jesus, um, at the very end, if you read the Gospels, you'll discover that the Gospels all lead up to the death and the resurrection of Jesus. It is the end of the life of Jesus and then the beginning of the life of the people of God because we finally can live in Christ. But there's so many details, so many things that happen. I'm going to read to you the the two trials of Jesus as they're recorded in the book of Luke. And we're going to read quite a few verses from verse 1 to 25. Are you ready for that? Yes, okay. All right. So I'm going to read it to you. And I put up these two pictures. These pictures are about from the movie The Passion. And they are a picture of Jesus with Pilate, who is the Roman governor, administrator in the area of Judea. And the other one is with King Herod, Herod Antipas, not the King Herod that was alive when Jesus was born. This is his son, who's now no longer ruling down in Jerusalem, but is only the king of the small area of Galilee to the north. His family has kind of been demoted because of the chaos that the family caused. But these two people are the kings or the rulers over the areas that Jesus lived And they'll both make a declaration about Jesus. And it's going to be surprising what happens. And so it says this, and the whole company of them uh, rose and brought brought Jesus before Pilate. And they, they began to accuse him saying, we found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him saying, you have said so. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent saying, 
He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee even to this place. And when Pilate heard the word Galilee, he understood this man must be Galilean. And when he learned that his that when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. And when Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him, because he'd heard about him, and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him, and Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him, saying, then arraying him with splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day, for before this they had been at enmity with each other. And Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers of the people, and he said to them, you brought this man to me as one misleading the people, and after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. And neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. I want you to understand this. The people in the day of Jesus who were in charge of making a a decree about the guilt or innocence of Jesus, both of those people found Jesus innocent. The courts found that Jesus had done nothing wrong. But they still turned him over to be crucified. They turned him over to be crucified because the people demanded it. But Jesus was innocent. I want you to understand this. Very very important for you to know this. That Jesus is the only innocent person who ever lived. But he was exchanged for you. The innocent was traded for the guilty. You and I, we're all guilty. You might have some definition of sin that doesn't match mine, but I'll tell you, even in that, you're guilty. If you hold your life up to the standard of the Bible, you're guilty. And according to the standard of Almighty God, the only one who ever was innocent was Jesus. And he was traded for you. Because the people said, when they, they all cried out together, away with this man, released to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and started, that started in the city and for murder. Now Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. If, if he was around in Trump's day, you would have heard, lock her up. Lock him up, lock him up. The third time he said to them, why, what evil has he done? I have, found him, I have found him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will, and they crucified him. Interesting, isn't it? One of, the, one of the lines that I found most interesting is this one. It says that Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day. For before this, they had been at enmity with each other. Herod and Pilate, 
these two people who were provincial leaders, people who had a, the highest level of government in the area that they controlled, they hated each other because they were neighbors, right? Because you can't love your neighbor because your neighbor is the one who gets the opportunity to annoy you the most, right? You're not angry at someone else's husband on the other side of the city. You're angry at your husband who lives in your house, right? You're angry at your wife who lives in your house, not at other women, your wife, because we are often get, don't get along with the people who are closest to us. But then in this one moment, they become friends. Pilate and Herod. <coughs> ding, 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 ding. Round one. They've been plaguing each other, pestering each other, and irritating each other for years. They would do little nasty things to each other so that they would get the other person a little bit more angry. It was nasty. It was petty. It was filthy. And then one day they become romance. <laughs> I, I, I'm really surprised at this. And I think there's actually a little bit of a secret in this story that I think we need to really understand. Because these two enemies become friends by giving Jesus to each other in exchange. One gives Jesus, and the other one gives Jesus back. And because they gave Jesus to each other, they became friends. And they had no faith at all. So Why? Why do people do that? I want to I ask the question. People don't get along because of real or perceived injustice. We call it moral wounding, according to one study. It's, it's that you've done something wrong to me, but what's wrong is just not wrong judicially. What's wrong makes you bad. It's morally wrong what you did to me. How dare you speak to me that way? I can't believe what you've done with me. Only a bad person would do what you did. So we end up getting morally up, upset about each other. So I was reading this study one time when this guy said, listen, the only reason people are fighting is because they have different morals. If we all had the same morals, well, we couldn't morally wound each other because if you agreed something was wrong and I agreed it was wrong, we would never offend each other and then the world would be beautiful. And then, of course, the problem is we can't agree on the morals because one person says one thing's bad and the other person says that it's good. So we can't find a common ground. If you hurt me, my definitions of hurt are the only ones that matter. I want to ask this question. How could we love Russia again? Right now, we, of course, read. I'm a bit of a news junkie, so I can every single day re read a report of the evils of Russia because my news feed is not from Russia. It's against Russia. And it talks about how bad these evil Russian people are. If you're Russian, I, for, I forgive you. I'm not, please don't take this personally. It's more about Putin. How could we learn to love Russia again? Here's something that you may not know. Russia has been a friend to the West for over 300 years. In 1776, Russia chose to help America in her revolutionary, revolutionary war with England. After England appealed for Russia to take England's side, Russia chose America. In 1854 to 56, America sent surgeons. They didn't really have an army, so they sent surgeons to help in the Crimean War. Again, a war in Crimea. In 1857, the Russia contracted U.S. companies to build naval warships, and the U.S. supplied them, and they were the best ships in their fleets. In 1861 to 65, Tsar Alexander II backed the Union side in the American Civil War. That's the winning side. And in 1867, America bought Alaska for Russia for $7.2 million. You can get a flat in Sydney for that these days. 
But that was a peacefully brokered deal. In 1891, America helped the Russians with famine relief. In 1905, Theodore Roosevelt brokered the peace treaty that ended the Japanese-Russian war. In 1914, America supplied Russia and armed them with munitions in, in World War I. And then for four years, in 1941 to 1945, the U.S. was an ally with Russia in the Second World War. I want you to see this. We've been friends with them longer than we've been enemies. So how would we come to love them again? It's a deep question. How do people become friends that were formerly enemies? Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that day. Before this, they had been in enmity with each other. You see, offenses must be replaced with something else. It's not just about justice. Justice is a payment of the due for what is morally wrong. It is important for us to understand that Jesus died on the cross for the offenses of humanity. He died for sin. It is a just thing for God to demand justice. So someone had to pay. But does justice fix things? Any person that has experienced justice knows that there's something lost. There's something missing. There's not enough. And again and again in the scriptures, we're told that the eye for an eye is something that brings harmony to communities, but it doesn't heal communities. If you know there is punishment for an offense, it'll keep you from breaking a law, but it will not make you love your neighbor. We need something better than that. Justice leaves people on opposing sides. We need something that tells me that the person is not against me, but for me. And that's why in the book of Romans, when Paul's explaining the crucifixion of Jesus, he explains the death of Jesus is more than just about justice. It's about God giving a gift to people that were his enemies. In Romans chapter 5, verses 6 to 8, he says, while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. I love that, scarcely. You know, your, soup, your hero in your life, whether it's your mom, your dad, your nana, if the moment came to give your life for theirs, you'd hesitate. You'd go, ooh, we will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one might even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in this while we were still sinners Christ died for us. We were the ones that were enemies with God and God chose to give us his son for us. We were on opposing sides. If God said, oh, well, I'll just punish this person for your sins, it wouldn't be enough. God had to be seen to be giving a gift. My friends, I think that's why everyone knows that the world's religions will never change anyone because only in Christianity is there the gift from God. Something given that is undeserved. It is a gift to us. And so he goes on and he says, Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, that's the justice, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Turn to your neighbor and say, reconciliation. reconciliation. 
Does anybody know what that means? We're not going... You know, nobody's wearing T-shirts, reconciled. On. Well, nobody uses this word anymore. Reconciliation, what does that even mean? Word reconciles means that the two sides have become one. What it was offensive and divisive has now been removed and they have become one people. And I think this is a message that is missed by most is that the cross does not just forgive your sins, it makes you into a friend of God. You don't stand before God going, oh, thank you for forgiving me, thank you for forgiving me. You stand there going, I can't believe you're my friend. Because friendship with God changes everything about your life. You're not on opposite teams anymore. You're on the same side. God is not against you, but for you. Everything that he's got is to help you. And Paul says, I want you to get this understanding that what is given to you in Christ is more than just forgiveness. It's life. Eternal life. Life with God. You can be friends with God and be fully convinced God creates The cross creates community with God. We are reconciled to him and we become his friend. His friend. Can I just have your attention for just a minute? Because I know you've hardly been paying attention so far. But I just need to say something very seriously, especially if you don't know God. Because a lot of people, they spend a lot of time in church, they hear a lot of stories. Easter story, they hear Jesus died on the cross for my sins, raised from the dead. And it's like an idea, but it didn't impact your life. And the reason it's not impacting your life is because you haven't become a friend of God. You haven't joined up with him. If you were to say, who's in my friendship group? God would not be that one. But God wants you to know that the gift of Jesus is just in the same way as Herod gave the gift to Pilate and Pilate gave the gift to Jesus. The exchange of Jesus has meant that you and God can become friends. And you, the dividing wall of hostility ends and you become one, living every day in union with him. So, well, what about other people? Well, the cross then is the gift that I give to others to make them my community. The cross just keeps on giving. Because in the same way as Herod and Pilate made friends with, by exchanging Jesus, you can exchange Jesus with other people to become friends with them. <laughs> I love this idea. He says in the Colossians, Paul says, because of the cross, put on then God's as chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. Here's, I love this. Maybe put yourself in this category. If one has a complaint against the other, forgive each other. Why? Just as the Lord forgave you. You see, the same Jesus that was given to you, you now can give to someone else. Say, the same way as Jesus was given to me, I'm going to give you Jesus. I'm going to forgive you for what you've done to me. Not because you deserve it, but because I got the gift of Jesus. And now I can give it to you. I think one of the verses that I really want to finish on today, this is an idea that I felt like God wanted to speak over you today. This is a prophecy. In the book of Philemon, which is a great book on recipes on how to fillet things. Yeah, written by people in Barbados, right? We're going to Philemon. 
Sorry, there's a lot of winching over here in the young people. Okay. The book of Philemon is, is uh, Paul writing to a guy named uh, Onesiphus or Onesimus. And what he's done is there's a, he is a slave that ran away. And that slave, Philemon, has actually been saved, a Christian now. And Paul, he's helping Paul a lot. So Paul writes to his former owner and says, you need to forgive him and let him go. But listen to how he does it. He says, so if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. The Apostle Paul preached the gospel to this guy, and this guy was given eternal life and forgiveness before God. And now this guy, he's upset because he can't get his slave back. And Paul says, you need to let him go and forgive him. But I'm not even going to ask you to charge it to his account. I'm going to ask you to charge it to my account. And I felt like Paul knows something here. He, he knows something about why people do things. It's not enough to say, forgive him if he apologizes. Forgive him because it's the just thing to do. Forgive him because the cross demands it. The Apostle Paul makes it personal. Personal. He says it's about what you and I owe each other. And he's learned that because Paul is a friend of Jesus. And I'll bet that many times the Apostle Paul has gone to Jesus complaining about people. He's gone there because people beat him up regularly. People abused him. People took advantage of him. Some people, even the people Paul preached and led to Christ, they would start taking advantage of him and take his money. And he constantly was surrounded by offenses. And I'll bet Paul went to Jesus a lot of times and says, it's not fair, Lord. And Jesus said something to Paul again and again that's become part of the way that Paul thinks. And do you know what it is? If he or she has wronged you at all, or owes you anything, charge it to my account. This is what I believe is the prophetic word that God wanted to share with you this morning. The situations in your life that are holding you out of relationships can be healed if you learn this. That Jesus is asking you and saying, If that person in your life has wronged you at all or owes you anything, I want you to charge that to my account. To my account. Because Jesus can pay for all. Because Jesus has paid for all. And you don't have to hold that offense and you don't have to be hurt by that other person. And the fact that they're not even sorry doesn't even matter because Jesus can say, the issue you have with them, take it up with me. 
look at me on the cross, and if you can hold that grudge after all I've given to you, then maybe you don't know me at all. So, I want to ask you this. Who is outside of your community because of something that they've done wrong? They've morally wounded you in some way. Some, a group of people, people you don't like, people who are different from you, but people in your workplace that have, you know, they're competitive and thoughtless and have hurt you or wounded you. People in your friendship group who, you know, didn't get it right, didn't say it right, said something insulting, excluded you, made you feel worse. People in your network of people, people who let you down, your mother, your father, your grandparents, your, the people around you that were siblings to you that's supposed to support you, the people who get it wrong for you. God wants to clear this up with you and say, if those people have done you any wrong, charge it to my account. And then you'll be free. So let's pray. Our Father, we're grateful for Jesus Christ who came to do all. That he not only died for us, but he rose from the dead for us so that we could be reconciled to you. And Lord, there are people here today or watching online that even though they've heard the story of what you've done, they've never ever experienced that idea of being reconciled to you, friends with you, on the same side as you. And the only way they can do that, Lord, is by meeting you. And so I'm praying that you would give faith to people right now to start the relationship with you, to actually get to know you, to become your friend. And if that's you, if you know that God is somewhat of an outsider to you, a judge or someone who's distant, but you don't have his help or his power or his friendship in your life, and you know that, then I want you to make a reach today that reaches out a hand of friendship to God through Christ. And if you can imagine it, Jesus is standing in between you and the Father, and he's reaching his hand to the Father and to you. And I want you just to take Jesus' hand and say, Jesus, I want to know your Father, and I want to know you. I want to be friends with you. I thank you that what you did on the cross forgave my sins and gave me this chance to become part of God's family. So I receive you. I take you as my rescuer, my savior. And I pray you pull me into that relationship with God. And Jesus, I pray that you pull God into that relationship with me. And I pray that you would unite us all together. Lord, help me to know you. And Lord, for all of us today who carry offenses and pains and insults and injury, Lord, many of us, our lives are, are damaged by the brokenness and the pain, the grief, the anger. So Lord, I pray that you would help us right now to play that all on you, Jesus. Just know that on the cross that you paid for all, so there's no longer any offense that you have not paid for already. 
And so we come today to lay those offenses down at your feet, to lay them on you, on your bill, because only you can pay and only you can unite us. So Father, right now we just forgive. We forgive those who have offended us. We forgive those who are different. We forgive those that we've judged as wrong. And we pray, Lord, that you forgive us and that you make us to be a community through the cross. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Hope Central in Adelaide, South Australia. If you want more information about who we are, visit us at hopecentral.org.au or join us for Sunday worship at any of our three campuses.